This is the Traxxas Sector Warcast, a podcast about Warhammer 40k Conquest, the living card game from Fantasy Flight Games. Your hosts are Tobin Lopez, John King, and Carl Anderton. Episode 10, The Warmaster Speaketh. Uh, welcome. This is episode 10 of the Traxxas Sector Warcast. Uh, I'm Tobin Lopez. I'm John King. I'm Carl Anderson. And I'm Brad Andrews. And as you may have noticed, we have a special guest with us today. Brad Andrews is the lead designer of Conquest. He was born and raised in Minnesota and has played card games since he was 12 years old. He's been working at Fantasy Flight Games in one form or another since he graduated from college, uh, which we still don't know where you went to college, Brad, so we might have that. That might be a question. And then Brad started reading 40K novels while at school. Well, he also read the codexes and became fully entrenched in the 40K universe. Uh, my guess is along the way uh, where where John and I have kind of done. He's played the RPG, and Zarathur, the Chaos Warlord from the Corset, is actually based on one of Brad's Black Crusade characters. He got his first job uh, with FFG at the Event Center, and he was there for about a year and a half before he got a job as a designer. He had, and he had playtested a bit before that. He had to show him there to show him. Show FFG his chops when it came to design. He's worked on Warhammer Invasion, and he also works on Call of Cthulhu as well as Conquest. About one to two months, I think, Brad, you said uh, after he got the job as designer, he started to work on Conquest with Nate French and Eric Lang. Welcome, Brad. Uh, Thanks for talking to us today. It's a real pleasure to have you. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Um, is there anything you'd like to, <laughs> we, uh, that, that all, that information all comes to us from, um, the Adeptus podcast, this podcast, uh, from last November, I believe. Yes. So, and then I pieced together some other things. Um, but so how are things? What, you know, is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction? Um, man, you covered a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> I live happy in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota with my wife, Nikki. Baby. All right. And how long have you been married to Nikki? Uh, we'll be two years here in June. All right. Excellent. Congratulations. We've been going together for about 10. Oh, wow, wonderful. So it's, so it's almost old hat. It's almost old hat. <laughs> Marriage is a whole different story. John, uh, all, all three, John, Carl, and I are all married. And I think Carl is the uh, is uh, the least senior among us. John, John's got at least. What fifteen years, John? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Is it fifteen? Yeah, and I've and I'm fifteen, and I'm coming up on uh, thirteen, or I'm not coming up on twelve. So in August. So, uh, Carl, how long have you been married? And you're going to ask me this question? Um, <laughs> I think it's less than ten. <laughs> yeah. So you think it's less than ten? I'm, right. I'm sitting here going. Um... It's a good what thing none of our wives say? listen to this podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely in the state here. I'm like, um, yeah, uh, I'm not long enough to be sure. <laughs> All right, Brad. So let's. Uh, uh, thanks, thanks again. It's a Sunday morning. We're, we're recording with Brad uh, in an hour. For those of you who are listening um, and interested in Gen Con, the the event tickets go online in an hour. So uh, it'll be an interesting uh, morning. Uh, Brad, do you watch those things as they come by? Do you have any kind of visibility to that? So right next to the LCG department in uh, our offices is the organized play department. So we kind of overhear like all the numbers as they're coming in. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting us for us to poke our heads over the cubicle wall and be like, hey, guys, <laughs> how, how are the events going up? And generally, generally for the organized play department, they're kind of running around, everything's on fire because so <laughs> many people want to get into our events. They're always trying to like add, and that's why you kind of see those those waves and events extending as we see how popular they are. Yeah, yeah. So, well, so I saw kind of, that. Oh, go ahead, Carl. Sorry, I was just saying, it's kind of funny. <clears throat> A week or so back, we had the general election in the UK, and I paid zero attention but wherever that happens there's a big thing over there about like where the numbers are going and now i've got this image of you guys with a big sign on the wall you know kind of going like this is filling up and we're short on that one and we need to pay attention to that lcg yeah basically the the organized play department for there only being five guys they do just a colossal effort to make everything happen so i wow it's off to them yeah yeah with only five it's and we and you know, you and I have talked and we've met, and John was at Worlds, and and 
it's it's amazing to know that they pull all that stuff together with just five. It's it's insane. Yeah, so I keep that in mind when when anything comes up. You're like, well, why would they do that? I'm like, well, because there's only five of them is usually a reason. <laughs> yeah, I'm is bit packed by five guys. That's all they. They're like a month of just packing tournament kits. Oh my wow. gosh, wow. that's insane! I should I should mention I don't I don't know if anyone said Brad, but basically I'm in retail. I, I work for a, a game store. That's part of the reason I'm here. How I know these two guys, and to hit us five of you doing that department work is just like whoa. Yeah, no, they they again colossal effort. Hats off to the OP department. That's that's impressive what you guys do with that amount of people. Definitely. Um. So, Brad, so you've obviously played Conquest a lot. Um, once or twice. What, once or twice. Once or twice. What are your some of your favorite memories? What are your what are, what are your? We all have those. Like this one time, I was doing that one thing, and this one thing happened. So, can you share with us maybe something in your history that you might like to share? Probably one of my earliest favorite memories of the game is. Uh, so it was the first time Eric Lang was up visiting, and we had what I, what I would call like the primordial version of Conquest. It was kind of like piecing together. It was all just written on old Game of Thrones cards and kind of haphazardly thrown together. Um, and we were playing in the back of what was the event center at the time, and it was Nate French versus Eric Lang, um, to which most people would be like, oh, Eric Lang, yeah, he's... He's you know designed all these games. He must be pretty good. No, Eric Lang is garbage at uh, card games. <laughs> it's a thing that people don't understand. And Eric Lang was kicking the crap out of Nate, who is really, really good at card games. And he ended up winning. Eric did a little dance. He took a picture. Um, of course, that version of Conquest like completely got overwritten. All the rules are different. And... <laughs> completely changed now but eric eric lang will still uh, go around and say hey remember that time i beat you in that game that doesn't exist anymore <laughs> yeah. yeah that well you, you got to take your you got to take your uh, victories where you get them right yes um, and that that's the interesting thing um i'm i'm uh one of my things is education and one of the things that i keep coming back to with my with the people i teach is that the skills that make you good at one thing don't necessarily make you good at another. And um, when it comes to games, it's it's not surprising that Eric isn't very good at playing games because he's a great designer, right? Sometimes those, they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but usually in one person they are. Uh, yeah, it's it's I, cool I to on, sound that Nate that is. <laughs> yeah, it's cool to sound here that Nate French is 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 good and a good designer and a good player. Those it comes along, but I think those are the they're in the minority. So yeah, he's he's got the right cool. mentality for it. He's he's just very very analytical um, as well as being creative and. I fall more on the Eric Lang side of the camp that I'm like, oh, look at how interesting and cool this interaction is. And then, yeah. you know, Nate will look at it and be like, but why would I ever want to play that? <laughs> right. right. That's 90% of the conversations in the game store. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Brad, when talking about these decks that you uh, played, how do you go about building a deck? What appeals to you? Well, uh, you know, just just my play style is kind of aggressive, so I tend to be fall more into the orcs, chaos region of just kind of like throwing out as much damage as I can. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like baby. really, when when, I, when I'm interested in a deck, it's really like it's the same thing that interests me in a deck that most players do. Like, how interesting is the warlord? Because um, for me. I love this game so much because the warlords are just such a focal point. It's a character I can build my experience around and really just, he makes me feel that this deck is different than every other deck. And it's always exciting getting a new warlord or I guess for me designing a new warlord because I'm designing a new deck essentially. Right. Right. And so how does that, process happen do you decide on a warlord and then figure out his signature or they kind of grow together do you come up do you have an idea with some signature ideas and and grow them or does it happen more organically than than maybe that 
you know, some it, six of one, half dozen of another. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes this great warlord idea will pop out, and boom, we'll start there. But other times, uh, you know, the signature squad will kind of develop first. Maybe we want to do something cool or unique. Um, Urien is a great example of us being like, okay, we want to break the mold of what a signature squad is. So before we even finished Urien, we decided this is going to be the pack that has four events in it and only two units. And so he kind of was the other way. But another one like, uh, let's say, Ragnar... You know, Ragnar's ability came first because we definitely wanted to focus him on the hunt. He He's a warlord I designed for Eric Lang. Um, don't know if I've mentioned that on a podcast before, but no. Eric Lang likes to uh, do this little song and dance when he's setting his command dial. He likes okay. to be like, I'm going to find you. I'm going to kill you. So Ragnar is the first hunt warlord we designed, and he's designed around that idea of you just want to find where your opponent's going and beat the crap out of him. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so so uh, one of the things, the Yurin Rakarth, uh, I've played with him a couple times, and um, Power from Pain, which is the uh, two-cost event, uh, Dark Eldar event that you sacrifice, you know, your opponent must sacrifice and uh, an army unit if able. That's with a two. That's pretty expensive because you don't get to choose, right? Yes. But with Urian, it's a one. And the last, the, the I've played two games with Urian, and both games I've had either two or three of those in my opening hand. So I'll spend combat just getting rid of his, getting rid of my opponent's units, and he, and and every time they're very frustrated. Now I end up losing the game in both cases because I didn't have the the units to back it up because I tend to I for whatever reason I went unit light in that deck which became a problem but it was fun to play power from pain three times on your opening turn and twice <laughs> again in the next game and they're going wait I just paid money for all these people <laughs> yeah in- interesting um, story there um so we developed the warlord cycle um before the corset even came out obviously yeah. um yeah. and we actually went back and added torture to power from pain in the core set oh. because we started developing Urian and we're like, oh, this is awesome. Let's make sure we have support in the core set for it. Oh, cool. Cool. We work so, so far ahead, we get to do fun stuff like that. Excellent. So you go, so when you build a deck, you sound like you're more of, more in John's flavor where you're like, I'm going to load up damage. So is there a, is there a magical number for units? We've had this conversation on the podcast before and we tend to, we're tending to, uh, rally around 30 and you need kind of a good reason to go up or down from there but where do you do you know where your deck counts are when you talk about units in your deck well I do have a deck based on some things that might not be seen by the public that runs only about 25 units I can't wow. say anything about that more but uh, <laughs> I do I do I do uh, agree around 30 is units are the life out of this game. They determine so much because they're both for combat and command, the two most important aspects of the game, and like a guiding, guiding principle as we design the game. Uh, so yeah, around thirty, you want to make sure that about every other card is a unit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, and then there's sometimes when I've I've drawn nothing but units for like the first 15 cards and i could actually use just one event <laughs> one event would be really cool um please one shield just, just give me one shield that's all i want just one shield so he can't uh obliterate me into nothingness so yeah, um, shields so, are for space marines <laughs> uh yeah i guess orcs don't really need it chaos just burn burn them away right yeah <laughs> um yeah. Or what is it? Fetid haze. They they just let the <laughs> let their blood infect the air around them. So <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Good. <laughs> um. So what we really what I'm interested in, Brad. What one of my interests is also workplace and how you work and what what is the process by you guys? How you at FFG uh, between all your L- LCGs and your board games and so on. So how you get these things done? You know, I realize board games that are that you know have a launch and maybe one or two expansions, maybe a different flavor. But can you give us kind of a dis- an idea of the day 
or week in the life of Brad Andrews at FFG. Is Andrews the way you write, pronounce your name? You said Andrews, Andrews yes? yeah. Andrews, okay. So, so give us a day, day or a day week in the life, in the life of, Brad. of Brad. Okay. Um, so I get into work about uh, – try and get there five to ten minutes early, so you know, 8.50 to 55. And then sit down, quickly turn on my computer, check my emails really quick, and then Nate and I usually bop over to the game center for a coffee, and in my case, a Gatorade. <laughs> um, <laughs> then usually spend the morning while we're, you know, have an active product in development, uh, uh, responding to playtest emails, uh, writing down notes based on the current project, um, and just making sure that I'm ready to do an update or or random tasks. Uh, as I'm sure you guys know, this industry can be kind of crazy, so you'd get asked to do one of hundreds of things. Um, At a drop and, of a hat, right? <laughs> yeah, it, again, it just you know varies. I could be looking over proofs um, that have come in from the factory in China, uh, be helping someone out with their sets. You know, it all, all really varies. Um, okay. Then around noon, we have lunch. Nate and I usually we go out somewhere. Uh, we'll try and convince Caleb to come out to eat, but he doesn't really like to. But, you know, some various assortment of us will go out to eat. Yeah. Uh, then get back. Uh, we'll uh, usually have a couple meetings in the afternoon. Uh, if I have an active product in development, again, I will try and uh, work on getting a playtest update out. Uh, so, so you're using the active adjective here. So... I would think that you almost always have an active product in development, right? Because you have a pack or a, a cycle. Is is that not true? So it, it, the only thing that varies is, I guess I'm referring to active, meaning that we have the playtest going. Because, you know, I'll always, uh, okay. I always have two or three things. But, like, once it's – because when I'm in design, it's kind of like I'm in sequester mode for, like, week, two weeks of, like, all I'm doing is working on the set. Um, kind of licking it into shape. And, okay. But when you have a playtest going, everything gets a lot more structured because you know you have to be constantly thinking and rethinking everything you assumed when you designed the set based on actual play. Is a very surprising thing is you can design something on paper that seems perfectly viable and perfectly interesting, and immediately upon seeing the set, your playtest will be like, this is garbage. Why would you ever do this? Like, <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, a lot of the times, I it, it's like, okay, yeah, I see. And, you know, a, a slight adjustment or a slight tweak takes it from completely unplayable to the best card ever. <laughs> so, um, so, you talk about playtesting a lot there. How much of your time is taken up, you know, marshalling that? I mean, how, how many playtest groups you normally have? You know, it, it really varies depending on the number of projects that are in playtest at the moment, which usually fluctuates between zero and two or three. Um, okay. Each group, I like to have at least six, perhaps seven groups on at least, because you want different different perspectives. Obviously, there's a lot of people that play Conquest, and not all of them represent the, the tournament player, and they shouldn't. Um, in fact, a large, large portion of our audience aren't tur- tur- tournament players. And so we need people that are both focused on how viable cards are and others that are focused on how fun cards are. And just because a card may not make every tournament deck doesn't mean there isn't someone at their kitchen table that that's their favorite card and they just love playing it. I, as the as being involved in the store side of things, I see those people all the time. They're all, you know, we've got uh, Vainglory at the moment. Throwing a Vainglory, and I'm going to make this work. It's my thing, you know? Yeah, no, again, and something doesn't need to be perfectly efficient and amazingly powerful to be fun. If you're having fun with it, then more power to you. And, you know, we have to make sure that there's cards that are designed for that player, too. Totally, totally. Yeah, you guys have done a great job in balancing that, I feel, because there, there are some of the cards that I look at and I go, oh, I just want to make this work, kind of like Throne of Vainglory, but then there's also sometimes the competitive side of me comes out and saying, well, this deck's not ready for a tournament, and I want to have a really good showing. 
Um, we got one player here uh, in Fort Collins named Joe Sennert, who uh, <laughs> he comes up with the best decks, and they're really off the wall. No matter what game he's playing, thing that's great with Joe is though is that it's an off the wall deck, but man, is it so effective! It it it, it just really hits people in their blind spot, and, and it's always constantly amazing to see to watch him do that, and it's it's wonderful. And I, you try to take. I try to take some of those pointers from him, and it's just, I'm just not that good yet. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta design cards for people like that. They uh, they have a very strong voice in game, and ignore them would be wrong. Yeah. How long does it take a card to go from you know that putting your head down for two weeks and and going through play testing and everything else? What kind of what's to add to that is how long does it take, and do you think you tend to your first drafts of cards tend to be underpowered or overpowered? Or um, right, in so there, from, right in that middle from, mix? From my, mind, from my mind to a finished product, take anywhere between three to six months, depending on the project and how much time we've allotted for it. Um, okay. For example, uh, I believe Warlord Cycle was in development for about four months, whereas uh, Great Devourer, was in development for six months. Ah, okay. And we, we determined th- that uh, New Faction needed a little more time, and so we let it cook a little bit longer, and I think uh, I think it's super solid. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, one quick question. As, it was one question on the, following up on the Devourer. It's fairly clear, but we want to make I want to make it explicitly clear. So neutral cards, you can't use. You would, We won't be able to use any neutral cards with you will the be Devourer able to use stuff? Neutral or... Cards. You will not or be able to use neutral the, units. Yeah, which is what I was just thinking. I was telling John about this just this week. Or yeah. there's this Carl. There's no yeah, reason uh, Tyranid can't go and eat a Promethean mine. Exactly. <laughs> and there we go. There's the one. That's yeah, exactly. exactly. We have this resource discussion. <laughs> yeah, we were like, well, would would and I don't know enough about this universe to wonder if a Nid would create or bother with their Promethean mine, right? They'd but, certainly go and yeah. eat it though. Yeah. It would, oh, it's going to eat it. Okay. Yeah, they they want every resource they can get. Yeah, living, living or not, they'll take it. <laughs> All right. So you can't use. You won't be able to use the neutral units, but everything else you can use. Okay. Yes. All right. You know, they they. There's no reason a rogue trader would ever work with a a nid, but again, you know, a nid could get a promotion. Mm-hmm. There's um an old old, old um, in canon joke which is everyone works for a tyranid. Everyone 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 the tyranid recruitment process is very simple. Step one: be eaten. <laughs> uh, all right cool okay if, if i can if i can interject a quick question then brad um when you talk about these car designs and obviously you're you're very uh well versed in the lore do you think of a mechanic and go boy this is really cool and i, I want to have this in the game and try to find something in the lore that fits it or do you see something in the lore and goes, that's amazing. I need to have include that in the game somehow. I mean, what do you what do you think is where you get the most inspiration? You know, again, it's 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 a case of fifty uh, fifty. You know, there's so many cool things in the lore that are just like ah, oh, wraith knights, you know, and, and stuff like that that are just super interesting, super cool. And man, I want to make a card out of it. But, you know, sometimes it's just me sitting there and being like, man, this game is so cool. Like, what's something different I can do with the game? And then once I have a great idea, it's like, okay, now where can I find a piece of lore that fits this? And uh, thankfully, there is so much lore that you can usually find a pretty good fit. Maybe not perfect, but pretty good. Can I um, can I put you on the spot and say, can you think of a, 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 a lore-heavy card, something you designed that was... Because that was how it would be in the setting. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the enraged orc and the corset is like it's almost an example of both, but it's you know just because one I, it's one of my favorite designs from the corset because it's so simple that like you get it when you read it and you're like oh I see what they did yeah yeah and having used it recently I can attest to that it's cool and. It's you know it's an orc, and when orcs fight, they get stronger, they get bigger. This this is exactly that. It's an orc that as it takes damage, as it gets in battles, it always gets bigger. But it doesn't start off as much, just as a little spore, 
rose into being this big, crazy monstrosity. Yeah, a little snotling. Well, cool. old Zogwart to that extent is is pretty thematic. I've been told that he's kind of a, a, an amalgamation of a couple of characters where he basically looks at someone and they turn into a snotling. Cause he yeah, we had, to, we had to finagle a couple of flavor elements, but GW yeah. is usually fine with us doing that. And, yeah. you know, GW's lore is really uh, flexible and fluid as it is. You know, anyone anyone that's out there and like, oh, this isn't completely accurate. And like, you know, to, to one version of the lore, but we've been through so many iterations that it's at least somewhat accurate everywhere. Right. Right. Place. I mean, the RPG is on 7th Ed, right? 7th edition? So, um, yeah, they're, yeah they're, they're, they're pretty far in the flavor and it'll fit somewhat somewhere and, you know, as much as I want to make every single card be perfectly fit to the flavor, this is a game, and the game needs to come first a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah, totally. Well, I, the cards and the artwork has certainly inspired Tobin and I to explore the lore. I mean, I, I was never, I, I, I was, had always seen the miniatures and said, "Oh, wow, that's pretty cool," but I had never gotten into that, uh, into that gaming. Um, and seeing some of the things like the Honored Librarian is a card I've talked about before. Then getting seeing some of the things in the lore, and then all of a sudden making that connection in my head. Oh, this is reason why this looks this way at this point. And it's just so cool for me as a new person to the lore. And you know, it, 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 I, I I just geek out every time I I open up cards and and where it's going to take me. So. Yeah, it's cool. Well, and and here's here's a vote for Ibram Gaunt being somewhere, whether it be in a flavored text, something <laughs> that he says, or I was disappointed to see the the commissar on the planet fall one that wasn't Ibram. So I was like, oh man, and I realized that you can't maybe not so, borrow him, but oh. <laughs> the the thing about planet fall is the warlord cycle. Every single character is from GW lore. Nothing, no, no new original characters. Every single character in the Planet Fall is a new original character. Oh, really? Excellent. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. So that's a, that's a sneak peek for you. All right. And so, so we're going to jump a little bit ahead of our planned questions to go to Planet Fall because John and I have, all three of us are very interested in this. The idea that I think you alluded to it. You and I, you know, you you had so many conversations with people at Gen Con. You alluded to the the three traits of each planet, right? The red, green, blue, and to see that come out in that form in Planetfall, to see you know just the tip of the iceberg with development. Have has that been was was it in the original design of the game to to put that those kind of mechanics in and have the planets be affected in that way? Yes, it was. Uh... Yeah. We we wanted something that could key off of planets, and it was always our plan to explore it in the second cycle. Oh, okay. I would say that warlords are the most important element of the game, and so thus in the first cycle we wanted to expand them and expand their influence on the game. That's why you see so many cards that have exhausting your warlord as a cost, and cards that are very, very effective at a planet where your warlord is or where your opponent's warlord isn't. So everything in the Warlord cycle, obviously, is about Warlords. Right. And uh, with the Planet Fall cycle, everything is about planets. Yeah. yeah. Where you send your unit as planets, I would argue, are probably in, like, the second most, if you will, uh, like, level of importance in the game. Yeah, and, and, and that's where, and we've talked about this before, That's and I just talked about this with some other players last week, the order and the appearance of those planets is uh, just gives the game so much replayability, so much written, richness, so much variance. Um, I played gentlemen in Tulsa. I was in Tulsa for the Netrunner Regionals at the Team Covenant, at the Covenant store, and I played some guys there. I played three games against one guy, and he, and the planets came up for him, and it was like a cart. And it's not necessarily the order, but if you have uh, the first five planets, if you're looking at like really light card draw, 
what do you do right? if you only have you know it'll it'll oh. it'll vary depending <laughs> on your deck yeah it's it's rough when you have really light card because we're all both sitting there with three cards in our hands and 10 resources <laughs> we don't we got nothing <laughs> we got nothing to do so it was really an odd game right whereas in other games you have all the cards in the world but two resources in your your pool so i i love that about planets and how flexible they they make your game plan have to be yeah yeah you, i do i love that as well brad uh there's one of the things that i've tried with the wait with chaos was always having the big elite big demons and and uh unfortunately i i'm sorry i've been up all night so i'm drawing a blank on the planet card um that allows you to play a car play a unit into your each player to put a unit into your hq um when i get to play that, there yeah you've you're thank right. you yeah. thank you <laughs> when i'm playing that deck and that planet is out on the board in the first five. Oh my goodness that is so such a fun fun deck then because uh everything just clicks and i'm constantly you know i, I hopefully uh the first three planets aren't in a win condition because i want to draw that game out just so i can you know ha- have three soul grinders and have my three possessed and have have uh, three, three lethal plague beasts and <laughs> And just have my opponent looking at me like, really? Come on. What, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? And the, again, the best is, is when your opponent goes there, when you have a health break in hand, yeah. and, uh, they win it and they trigger it. And you're like, sounds great. <laughs> the, um, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Amongst Here the, we go. Amongst the, local, amongst the local players of us, that is definitely the, the two, the, the, the double-edged sword planet. It's the game of, okay, what are you playing again? Marines. Yeah, not triggering. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's just a planet that You've built the right deck. I almost don't see it as a double-edged sword. You're like, no matter what my opponent puts out, I'm getting more resources than him. If he puts out a five, I'm putting out an eight, and I just gained three resources. Yeah. Right. This, yeah. this is right. true. That's a fair point. I, I think, Brad, I think that's, a, that's a, that aggressive style that uh, you and I sound like we, we kind of subscribe to, whereas I have a... Sometimes I, I believe the best defense is a good offense. I, I, if I can keep my here, here. opponent off balance and yeah, reacting to me rather than I don't care what you're going to play. You're going to have to deal with me on my terms. I find that, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, that, that, that's the play style that I just, I just love. And I think that's obviously why I gravitate towards orcs and chaos. And I know some people say Astromiel to Terram doesn't qualify that, but I think it does it the way I play him because I will play uh, up, upwards of 35 and 40 units. <laughs> so the, my whole um, life, it, it's kind of like that, that lore is like, give me enough bodies and I'll choke the eye of chaos, you know. <laughs> I, I recall a recent event where you had 16 units on the table in the last round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, I think, that was I a lot. Castor Militarum are a little underrated at the moment. Well, yeah, they definitely don't, they don't get enough love. I mean, you see those yeah. you see you see those uh those shield cards and those attachments and all that, and it's like all of a sudden you turn something that's supposed to be a low power unit into something you don't even want to come anywhere near because when that, when that happens, it's a beautiful thing. Just some other little logistical things, Brad. I'm I'm curious about some of these things. So, do you have? You know, you mentioned that you went back and put torture on on power from pain in the core set. Do you have a database of the cards with the keywords so that you say, okay, if we put in something that triggers off torture cards, we have 35 torture cards, so maybe we don't want to do that. Maybe we want to have it trigger off power cards or something like that. So do you have those kinds of tools? Yes, we have a custom database built. I can't say too much about it since it's preparatory software. But, oh, absolutely. Uh, it basically allows us to look through all the cards. Um, and, for example, it's it's how we build our draft sets. Um, for, like, our Call of Cthulhu draft, um, we can search through all the cards and add stuff to new products. And Great. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you, yeah, because, you know, oftentimes when I'm deck building, sometimes I'll be deck building, okay, I want to, how many soldiers, how many warriors do I have? Especially if I'm trying to build with Strachan, right? How many soldiers, warriors options do I have? What are the best ones? So I just, those were one of the questions that came up while I was talking about it. So how, how, how do you decide and when do you decide about faction loyalty and not loyal? So really, biggest thing it comes down to is their card is loyal or not is, does this card inherently feel or mechanics feel 
like they're aligned with that faction's mechanics. And that's that's one of the big determining factors. Of course, there's a couple other, but that, that feel is really important. A, a Space Marine card focused on combat, for example, uh, you know, a drop pod, something like that. That loyalty is very determined on, like, is this core to the identity of that faction? Okay. And the secondary is, of course, power concerns of, like, man, we'll make this Eldar card loyal because, man, we really don't want Dark Eldar to get it. But it's such it's such an Eldar card. We really want it to be in the game. We don't want to. We don't have to throw it away or put it somewhere where it doesn't belong. So we'll make it loyal, and then you have to play an Eldar deck to really utilize it. Okay. All right. So that's so that's interesting. There, you you would say there are some cards that um, that are, are loyal due to power strength. You know, they, they wouldn't wouldn't be there if you would if everyone could have them. They'd be too they'd be too strong. Yeah. I mean, want to use all the tools available to you. Um, to balance, especially with a game that's so difficult to balance, like Conquest. Um, mm-hmm. So you can't just ignore uh, a great tool like that. Generally, we try and keep it to uh, what feels right. Okay, that's cool. And so, um, I, I like to believe that we're all really good at our jobs, um, and if you're lucky enough to be good at 75% of what it is you have to do, then you're in a good... You, you are one of the rare ones. So, Brad, without giving up too much, and maybe without getting in trouble with any bosses that might be listening, <laughs> what are what are some things you need to consistently remind yourself to do? Like, oh, I need to make sure that that's that's you know a two three or a three two or 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 what is the what is the little process that Brad Andrews has to consistently say? I need to remember to do. like you have a little post-it note on your computer or something. So I know? do have a couple of post-it notes on my computer. <laughs> so. The structure, uh, the structure for a reaction versus an interrupt, uh, is one of my post-it notes. That one starts with after, and the other starts with when. Ah. So interrupts always start with when, and reactions always start with after. So I oh, have a okay. note to remind myself of that. Um, interrupts are a- interrupts are when, reactions are after. Yes. Yep. All right. So okay. I have a post-it I-W-R-A. note for that. All right. Okay. Um, I also have a post-it note to always remind me to use masculine pronouns. It's not my preference, but it's what we've chosen to do for the game. So, one of the things, though, uh, that I that I have liked about Conquest is the consistency of wor- in wording that you're saying when using using interrupt using when for an interrupt and using uh, the the same the same uh, masculine pronoun. Just the consistency, it makes it so much easier as a person who who's not confused or into the lore where I'm going to be uh, saying, well, this really should read this way if it's going to be this card. It makes it, looking at new cards, very specific in where I, I'm able to say, oh, this is how this is going to fit into this these decks. So I, I really appreciate that, and, and yeah, you guys have done a great job. That's all thanks to our wonderful editor, Patrick Brennan. He is a master of templating, um, and he does a really great job for us. Uh, would, it'd be a lot lot less consistent if it wasn't for him, as much as he drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> my, so my, the- wife, my wife works in software development, and she has editors, and I hear come in, and she works from home, so I hear phone, phone calls with her sometimes, and they're talking about the the difference between using they and their and his or hers and if then if there should be a semicolon after that word or not and you're just like and they spend hours talking about that because she that's, my wife's that's, crazy. That's exactly so. what Patrick does for us. <laughs> I, um, uh, I actually work with a lady who is also a part-time um, editor. In fact, she's involved in a role-play game or two that we sell very quietly and this is what she does on a regular basis. I've, I've heard her going over Things and you're listening to the most pedantic wording of, of shifting grammar and punctuation and just, just <laughs> wincing. Yeah, no, it's, it's really important to get those consistent. Uh, and again, we have a great editor, so yeah, and, and it shows it shows from the fact. I mean, you know, you released your first fact there a couple months ago. There wasn't anything surprising. And Patrick Brennan is a regular contributor uh, and responder on the Card Game DB site, and. I think if that's the same Patrick we're talking about, um, and he, you know he does he did a great job of clarifying some things to my surprise in some cases, but 
you know, the, the, to each their own. Um, the, 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 the one that still gets people is moving to headquarters after a thing. It doesn't trigger homing beacon. And yes, that's not, that's returning to HQ is I think the verb that you use. Yes. So it's, that's it's, the one it's all that very precise. Um, and sometimes it can be a little, little not as intuitive as some other mechanics, but we, uh, you know, biggest thing is the cards and the rules very precise in their wording and if you just take that interpretation stuff is pretty easy to figure out it's not ambiguous so when it says return it's not a move because it didn't we didn't use the word move right 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 exactly that's the like i said i'm on sleep depo sorry but that i mean that's that's one of the things that i appreciate as an as a new player to that and seeing that it's like oh okay this card is this mechanic and that's how that fits in and just again, kudos to Patrick and all you guys there. I know that's a hard job to have that consistent uh, war pack to war pack to war pack to war pack. Uh, all right, Brad. So uh, kind of now for the, the big question of the day. So w- w- we contacted you, I don't know, a month or six weeks ago about doing this interview. And we, we intentionally planned it to be between the Warlord cycle and the first deluxe. So th- mm-hmm. I, I think this is a best happy time for uh, a new lcg because you know you've you've released the core set people have gotten into it you see some activity and see some growth and see real diversity in the warlord sets in the warlord cycle the first cycle and you're about to release the tyranids onto the onto the universe uh so i think more so than maybe i I play netrunner as well and more so than maybe creation and control which was the first deluxe for them this one is going to have the impact have a greater impact i've we the three of us know a couple of guys up in Fort Collins who are not even getting into the game until Nids show up. And, oh, look, Nids are there. All right, so now I'll buy the cards. Um, how do you feel about the state of the game? You know, I, I'm really happy with where the game is at. It's obviously growing. Lots of exciting options coming out. You know, every time I see regional coverage or a store championship, it's like, who's going to win? I don't know. That that level of there being so much diversity in the environment. Um, Certainly, there's a couple of decks that have risen risen up, and I still think there's a bunch of sleepers out there that people haven't quite discovered yet, which is always exciting for me when someone finds one. But oh, uh, yeah. it's so healthy right now. The game yeah. is just doing better than anyone expected over here. Just seeing that diversity, so like I couldn't I couldn't be more pleased with how the game's going right now. Excellent. And did you see? I don't know if you saw. I think it was in Toronto. They had a regionals, and uh, uh, Elderoth beat Anshi in the regionals yes. yesterday. If I, if I was to read that tweet correctly, um, so Elderoth Starbane, the guy who was much de- uh, decried as being weak, uh, you know, in the first set or two, and uh, now comes out and wins his own regionals. So, of course, it's not the, the warlord in and of itself, but it wasn't Kato, <laughs> right? It wasn't yep. Kith. Um, you know, I was there, with John and I were there for Worlds. When we look at the top, I think it was the top 16 for Worlds, and 11 of them were, were Kith, and you kind of go, what? That's, you know, and at the time, Kith was very powerful. Um, but the, the field has leveled out quite a bit. Um, yes. And anybody can beat anybody on any given day. John, Carl, and I spend a lot of our time on these podcasts talking about how to beat particular Warlords. Sometimes we're right, and sometimes we're horribly wrong. But um, one of the things you have to do to beat somebody is to you're playing the player as well, right? And you're playing the planets, so that's why it's so hard to do those "how do you beat them" segments. You know? Yeah, no, um, it's 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 always a challenge. Uh, you're making a new warlord and figuring out where they fit in the continuum and what what they're good against. And uh, there's definitely going to be some big surprises for the community in the planet fall cycle. Yeah, which, the planet fall cycle well, looks like you, you will know. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> You know, we were talking because, because, like, well, what are they going to do? You know, they can't do much. And I said, well, if we're to take, if we're to learn from previous LCGs, and the one that I think about is Netrunner. Like, they're talking there in Netrunner. Lucas and his designers and his his folks are taking agendas off the table, like completely, right? And that used to be something that would never ha- would just was happening a little bit in the core set, and they're completely altering scored agendas, and they're switching things and all these things, and so. While the planets are in, in conquest are 
much more important, I could see that being a design space that you utilize and and going to, you know, add a green to a planet that doesn't have it, you know, these, but they would have to be monumental things to, to have that happen. But it's a design space that I think you could, you could go into. I wouldn't be surprised by it. Um, you know, I just, just having learned from runner. I would never count out any portion of design space. Sure, there's things that we're less, you know, we're less inclined to explore, but, you know, to ignore part of design space is, uh, I think, folly. Right, right. I I say to various people on this subject all the time, which is, if it exists, it can and probably will be modified at some point in the game. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Well, but, you know, the big thing with cycles... And as we move through, and now we're, we're through the first one, and how that reflects on the course that is cycles, need to change the way that the game is played. If a cycle comes out, and we can just effectively keep playing game as it was before it came out, I'd say that it is a failed product at that point. That's interesting. That, that is your intent, of course, is we always talk about the, the meta of the game is changing month to month. But you want a new cycle to be, here is... You know, this is this season's style, this season's big thing, as it were. It, you know, you need to change things to keep it interesting. Uh, you only play the same game so many times, and uh, really need that change, that flux. You know, one deck may be on top today, but you know, if you have the same deck on top for six months plus, people people get upset, people get bored, and mm-hmm. to really add that variety and keep things changing and keep people excited is so important. I love how mildly you put upset, but you're quite correct. <laughs> well, again, there's, there's, a, there's a game design philosophy that I subscribe to, and it's no matter what you do, someone will be upset. <laughs> and, and that's okay. You need to focus on making something that will be fun and interesting and know that you can't please everyone and wish I could please everyone because how great would that be? Uh, Uh, Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. (laughs) Well, in a competitive card game, I suppose there's an argument to be made that if you aren't upsetting somebody, then, well, you're not making a change. Very true, very true. People, People will gravitate toward familiar things and you need to be like, no, be excited about this new thing. <laughs> Instead of the loss of the old one, you know. Yeah, good, um, good call. And so, Warlords being the heart of the game, and War and Warlords coming out in War Packs, they, it's it's interesting to me that I was I was frankly fairly surprised that a Warlord was released in the first Planet Fall cycle. I was kind of expecting, uh, you know, a hang back and let's let's stabilize with the Warlords. But from what you're saying, it sounds like there's, and I'm not asking you to give away anything, right? Sounds like I should be very surprised if a warlord doesn't show up in a war pack because of the centrality and the importance that they have not only for the game but for the growth of the game. Element that's been really important to us is that here at the beginning of the game, we really put that variety out there. Let there be those questions and those warlords that maybe aren't played as much to start but will grow into their own and. It wouldn't surprise me if at some point we slowed down a little bit, and mm-hmm. maybe you did see a warlord in every pack. But okay. we we both agree that here at the beginning, really need that variety, and so that's part of our impetus to put so many warlords out here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sort of an idea that when a new card comes up, if you hadn't previously made this certain type of warlord, people would go, well, "What's this card for?" When obviously the answer is, "Well, it's for you know Tokamada or etc." Yeah. No, it's just uh want to have those those deck types and warlords define deck types in this game. So yeah. we really want that variety here at the beginning. Yeah. And having and having two for each faction um and along with the wheel where you have what is it? It's you basically have two choices for warlords or two so you have 14 and then you have two particular allies for each of those. So it's something, what is 14? Um, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of combinations, right? It's 14 Q, it's 14, 72, my no, 42. My mathematical equine wife is asleep. Right? 42 yes. different types of decks, and that doesn't even include, actually it's 56 because you can have mono faction, right? Mm-hmm. 
I think you're you're dead on. You guys were dead on with the let's provide some depth and deck building variety uh, by providing warlord for those for the warlord cycle. And it's yeah, it's, no, it, you, you need the variety. That's the the core of uh, the argument. Yeah, this seems like a good time to talk about uh, the spoiled card you shared with us. So um, yes, oh my. Um, it is a three-cost attachment. It is a uh, Tyranids event, or three Tyranids attachment, two shields, three cost. It's called the Heavy Venom Cannon. It is a war gear. It is a symbiote attached to an elite army unit. So it's already, you're already saying it's only going to go to the big guys. Uh, attached unit gets plus two attack. And the combat action is attached unit until the end of the phase gains either, choose one, Area effect two or armor bane, and you can do that once per phase. So that's a <laughs> wow. That's that's pretty awesome. So we're gonna give it two attack, and you get to choose whether Sorry. to give it area effect two or an armor bane. <laughs> Sorry about that. My dog barked. That's okay. You're fine. That's okay. We were we were talking about thematic cards earlier, um, and about people who are only gonna play when Tyranids turn up. They are going to be dancing. The venom cannon in the setting it either sprays openly, as in like to cover us an area with area effect, or it hits one target hard. And then that's just a horrible, horrible card. Yes, and that's yep. your, and the artwork on that. Oh man, that is, <laughs> that is phenomenal. Our Tyranid's uh, artwork is fantastic. Um, yeah, it's it's a very cool, and and it's it's a costly attachment, right? So, yes. um, what was what was it like? Because it seems like these guys were are just off scale, completely different. So, how was it designing with these guys? These it cards was that you off the scale, completely different. <laughs> uh, man, Tyranids are such a unique uh, beast, if you will. Uh, they were so different than designing the corset factions, and we had purposely left the design space for making them out of the core factions, and they just almost came together. They designed really fast. Playtested them for a long time, and they went through a lot of iterations of just getting everything just perfect. But as a faction, they're they're just so off the wall. The way they treat planets is so different with their infestation mechanic. Yeah, I was I was looking at your website, and I was trying to remind myself what the infestation mechanic was. You just is it just that you infest a planet? Yes, you you have cards that will infest planets, and then. Uh, and that's just the designation for the planet itself. Yes, there's nothing special that goes along with being infested until bringing other cards that key off of right. infested. And there's the one, there's I remember I was looking at the stuff this morning. There's one guy that that goes to you as a combat action move him move it to a combat to an infested planet. Just just boom. Uh, we're going to move you here. We're going to move you there. Akin to the uh Wild Rider squadron which as a combat action, move it to an adjacent planet. So it's a pseudo-mobile kind of thing. You spoiled, the, in the announcement for the Great Devourer, you had the Synapse unit. And it was alluded to that the Synapse unit would be, with that one that was spoiled, would at least act as a warlord for combat and command struggle purposes unless there was an enemy warlord present. Is that a mechanic that's going to be with the Synapse units, or are, they going to, are the mechanics, the Synapse unit's going to be definitively different from each other well they're all definitively different um oh. technically the one we revealed doesn't work as a warlord for command as well it's just for combat oh just for combat okay but all the synapse units are very very different and i just finished writing an article talking about them for uh which will go up on the website eventually but they're all very different and just think, like, think of it like uh, picking a second warlord for your deck. That's the, the best yeah. way to pick, you know look at it. Uh, yeah. And just as interesting as it is picking a a lot allied faction for your all decks, mm-hmm. uh, picking a synapse mm-hmm. unit for your uh, Tyranids decks is just as interesting. You're right, right. So, so, so that's part of the design intent, as it were, that Tyranids don't have allies. So to vary their deck design, they get the choice of synapse. Yes, it's it's to make that extra different, extra special, and make the Tyranids feel more like an invading swarm. Suddenly, your opponent has twice as many things on the board 
to start the game, and they're going to twice as many planets during the command phase, and they make you feel on tilt from turn one when you're against them. Awesome, awesome. And so, if I remember correctly, there's three Warlords in the Deluxe and five Synapse units that you can choose to match with your Warlord? Two, or is it the other two way Warlords around? in the Deluxe and five Synapse. As a designer, you're be limited to the better um, strength to having to create a, a deluxe expansion that has playable decks out of the box, right? Yes. Um, com- not not necessarily tier one competitive, but competitive, right? And fun decks. So like you were alluding to earlier, you have two camps you're alluding to. The fun, the fun players, the players that play for the combinations, and the players that play for competition. Um, yes. But no, that's the, cool. The Tyranid box... Uh goes for for both those players and i think they'll both see it's a fantastic product uh it it really defines and puts out a new faction i'm super proud of it we worked really hard to get it out and i just can't wait for players to get in their hands i'm uh I wish it was right now, and I wish I could tell you all about it and how <laughs> fun and interesting it was to design. Well, yeah, but then we'd be asking you about Planetfall and the <laughs> Ruin, and you would want to wish about that too. And and so you have the, you have a, you have a great job in that you you, but it's a pain. It can be painful, right? Because you know all these great things are coming, but you can't tell anybody about them. So there's it's kind of bittersweet, right? You get it, to be the. Tough, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, when we have when we when we have you back, Brad, that's when we'll talk about the Tyranids because I, I'm so very excited for them. I, I normally try to stay away from spoilers, and I have to admit, any, anything that's come up about Tyranids, any of the cards show up, I I, can, I resist usually for about thirty six hours, and then I gotta go look because it's like, oh, <laughs> I, I'm, I I I agree with you. I um. I think it, the the mechanics that are going to come out and and I I just have these wild visions of of uh, <clears throat> uh, this alien swarm mulching my opponent and and uh, infesting planets and everything. So I, I'm just so eager to see what's what's coming out. And uh, every time and anything you've said about it just makes me even more excited. Oh, they're so different. They're so exciting and weird to play. That's that's what I would say. They're you know, they they take every assumption you have about conquest, and they just kind of throw it out the window. So, so cool! Uh, so cool. Yeah, very cool, Brad. I know you guys. You're you're over the the OP guys are over the wall from you. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, I, I'm, I, as, and as you know, I'm interested. I'm kind of a rules guy, and I like running tournaments, and I, and I'm, and I like doing it by the rules, and I like doing it. Uh, most of, as a, in a most efficient way that I can. Um, and what do you think of how has the, or can you say anything about how the beta testing for the tournament software has gone, whether it be for Conquest or for the other games? Um, I've we've run it here at Netrunner, and I assume we're going to be using it at the regionals where for Conquest that I'm going to attend. Um, but so far, it's gotten some pretty good reviews. You know, it's still in beta stage, so to, so there's some things to fix. But uh, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, I've used it to run Conquest tournaments at the Game Center, since I run most of those. Um, And so far, so good. Um, We've liked it, and we're hoping that everyone else can provide some good feedback and we can continue to improve. Uh, We certainly don't want to sit on our laurels and be like, it's perfect, we don't need to change anything. Um, (laughs) That's bad. Because, you know, there's there's always room for improvement, and we just want to make it, want to provide that tool so tournaments are a snap to run and that you can get together and have that competition part of what helps the game grow the best thing that comes out of you guys being able to use this is the strength of schedule accounts for doesn't penalize people who play someone who drops Mm -hmm. only element of luck that should penalize a player is uh how their deck comes out, and really, that's on them. <laughs> <laughs> you can control the deck somewhat, right? Oh, of course. It comes I'm out saying, upside down you know, sometimes, and there's nothing yeah. you can do about it, though. <laughs> that's what, Make that's sure what I'm to shuffle at least seven times. <laughs> <laughs> it can only come out. Well, if 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 you're like me, if you have my luck, it can come out like seventeen times. It can come out upside down. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I can have more units in my opening hand. I'll mulligan. Oh, look, no units. That's great. Wonderful. (laughs) And then you open up your first, you know, your first turn, you open up, you play a rogue trader, and then you're like, I'm done. I pass. 
And the person basically goes, what? I got this game. Shields are overrated. <laughs> units. units. <laughs> there so you go, then. your first unit, you can just put another one out, right? Right. right exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, that's... There's there's something to be said for for Space Marines and Astra Militarum. At least they can pull guys out of their hand, just drop them right into play. You know, drop pot assault and Elysium assault team or Elysian assault team coming. You know, like oh, you killed one of my guys. Here's another one. Yeah. So there's something to be said for the human side of things, or at least the pseudo human side of things in the Space Marines case. But you, Brad, is there recruits. Eager recruits. Oh yeah, eager recruits. And um, I guess there's the war leader on the Dark Eldar side that can come in and head somebody who's already been um injured so that would that's pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that sucks that really sucks i had a i was telling carl i had a uh broadside with two attachments on it so it was an area effect four and um or maybe even area effect six he damaged him one time and then cl- played a war leader and died and, and, and he died and and that was all for my big bad unit they didn't even get a chance to attack <laughs> yeah no, that's uh, and you know cards like that uh like the war leader are very reflective of one of our core principles for conquest design um and that you don't have just a uh kill a dude card it's not it's not in the game you have there's always right. prerequisites right right Right. You have to kill. You have to at least make him bleed first, right? Exactly. Yeah, you need to, need to put a chink in his armor to uh, have it damaged him through an attack. So your opponent always has options. If I'm up against Dark Eldar, that's tough. But if you really need to, throw all your shields out so he can't damage that unit. Stave off the war leader. At least as long as they have those four the four resources they need to play him, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a big deal. Um, so you're never you're never completely out of options. Well, like John said, I don't know, Carl. Were you out of options when John had sixteen units at the table? <laughs> um, a couple weeks ago. No, no, no. Because no, he, didn't draw, right, he, did, he didn't draw into it. If, <laughs> no, no, no. if he had I gotten, used, if he had gotten the, the Nurgle, Nurgle bomb, he would have planet wiped me. <laughs> so. If you remember the conversation, I'd used them earlier. I'd done my ah, usual okay. trick and gone. I have to shield this one unit to fight for this planet, and oh, he's got sixteen now, and oh well. All right. Well, okay. If you're not out of options when you have 16 people looking you in the face wanting to kill you, then, then Brad, uh, your your treatise is proven. <laughs> you're never out of Game options. over, man. Game over. <laughs> uh, hey, Brad. Are you uh, so born and raised in Minnesota? Are you a Vikings fan, or I mean, a football fan? Are the Vikings your team? So. Vikings are my father's team. I was not, I'm not really a big sports guy, um, and you know I've always joked. You know my my dad wants the Vikings to be the pallbearers at his funeral so they can let him down one more time. <laughs> oh, oh, oh man! Oh, oh, oh well, the reason why I ask is that I grew up in Chicago, so I'm a I'm a Bears fan. The whole okay. family, so yeah, it was it was it's always one of those. Uh, my favorite teams, you know, we're not now we're out here in Colorado. My favorite teams are. Uh, Chicago Bears, the Denver Broncos, and whoever's playing the Green Bay Packers. So, <laughs> and, yeah, um, yeah, I've never been much of a sports fan. I uh, pay attention a little bit to basketball, mostly because uh, Nate is a big LeBron fan. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. He's, he's from Ohio, um, and so I've been paying a little bit of attention to that, mostly because uh, every time the Cavs have been winning, you know, Nate comes in and he's like, it's a good day today because the Cavs won yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> he's, just got that, he's got that morning smile with his cup of coffee going, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get to do that much very often since my, I, you know, I, I follow the Bears and the Cubs and uh, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. If I yeah. followed the Vikings, I'd, I'd just be horribly depressed all the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 I keep thinking I need to pick a, pick a winner, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, your your team is where the heart is, right? That's that's all it is. Um, sure, sure. Uh, Brad, where did you go to school? I didn't actually ask you. Uh, I went to McAllister College. It's a college in St. Paul, um, and it is really like internationally renowned. Okay. You know, like we're almost like fifty percent, uh, uh, blah blah blah, uh, international students, and so like it's okay. A big, big deal outside and like the further you get away from minnesota more it's like oh yeah mcallister Ooh, yeah the um, less you know about it no i it, it, i i, I, oh, I, I didn't know about it what did you what was your degree in 
Uh, geology. Geology, huh? Nice. Wow. Focus on paleontology. Um, <laughs> so huh. my 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 research is on dinosaurs and uh, prehistoric sharks. All right, excellent. <laughs> there you go. So, so tyrannids had to be. No wonder you were salivating at tyrannids. They got a <laughs> call to that that primal creature kind of kind of thing that you just know and love. Yeah, no, they're 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 pretty great. Um, love to see what some tyrannid fossils would look like. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the big thing I love about tyrannids is really, you know, they're they're the most not evil faction in the entire entire universe. You know, yeah, they're just angry. Yeah. Everyone else is kind of like grim, and they're they're you know shifty in some way. You know, even the Tau, the Ethereals are super shifty and like have the entire population mind controlled. Like, but the Tyranids are just hungry. Yeah, <laughs> they're just doing what they do, right? Yeah, Fulfilling uh, their biological imperative. They don't. They, yeah, they don't. They don't have any right or wrong they're just hungry they just eat yeah because that's what they 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 do so so totally totally moral neutral exactly brad is there anything else you'd like to say um either to us or to our audience oh i'd just like to thank you guys for having me on and to thank everyone in the conquest community for being so amazing uh you guys make my life just fantastic and i love each and every one of you all right thank you very much brad uh, it's oh, been a pleasure, and we will. John and I will be at Worlds. Uh, yeah, we're, yes. we're no, going to see you there, Brad. Not Worlds, but Nationals. Nationals. Uh, I'll be at, at both Nationals with my wife, and I'll be at Worlds as well. Thanks to Team Covenant for hosting this Warcast. If you would like to join the discussion, have ideas for future episodes, feedback, or questions for us, you can contact us at TraxisSectorWarcast at gmail.com. That's TraxisSectorWarcast at gmail.com. Via our Facebook page or Twitter at TraxisSectorWC, or leave a comment in the episode's comment section. This episode was sponsored in part by Rocky Mountain PC. Thanks for listening. The Emperor Protects. Protects.